Ezra, do grab your Bibles and let's finish this series. Here we go. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 12, and we are going to wrap up the transforming word of God today. And I am so excited because next week we are starting our Christmas series and I get a preaching break. What? <laughs> Actually, it's not a preaching break. I, I, uh, I'm having some of these young guys who are in our house that are fired up and anointed and creative, and I'm turning those guys loose, man, because that's, that's what we do here. We're called to equip. We're called to empower these, these guys. And so I just, I just figured, man, Christmas is a great time to do that. And so uh, I get to sit back and cheer these guys on next week, and I want you guys to cheer them on with me. So can't wait for the Christmas series. Romans chapter 12, we'll read this, we'll pray, and we got a lot of ground to cover this morning, so we're going to hit it, and we're going to hit it hard. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed, be changed thoroughly, deeply from the inside out. Let every part of who you are be utterly, radically different. That's what transformation is. And how does that happen? We got to change the way we think. We got to renew our mind. Our minds have to be new on everything, on everything. The way we see God, the way we see the world, the way we see ourselves, money, giving, children, legacy, marriage, selfishness, serving, everything. We have to funnel that. We have to squeeze that through the lens of the word of God. Our mind has to become new. That's how transformation happens. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and his perfect will. Father, today we thank you for the help of your Holy Spirit that is here. We thank you that your presence is alive. Your presence is here. Your spirit is moving amongst us, dwelling inside of us. Your anointing is upon us. Father, we thank you that we, we take great confidence that the earth is crying out, groaning for the sons of God and the daughters of God to be revealed. And you are awakening us as sons and daughters. You are establishing us as sons and daughters. And your word is vital to that end. Father, I pray today for a impartation. I pray for an injection of your heart through this clay vessel into our lives as a family of believers and that the word would just take a higher place of importance and priority and value. We ask for revelation to see what we cannot see as it relates to the transforming word of God and its role in our lives and in the world. So be glorified, Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's give a shout, amen. All right, today I want to talk with you about the power of abiding in the Word of God. We've, we've, we've hit a lot of great topics in the past three months. The overarching theme of our series is that the Bible, we believe the Bible is the foundational text for spiritual formation in Christ. And it is the scriptures that invite us into a deeper life with God. We believe that, and that's what we've been practicing, and we've been preaching, and we've been just drilling down into that over the past several months. Today, as we 
bookend this series, we're going to talk about the fact that transformation happens primarily by abiding in the words of Jesus, living in the words of Jesus, making our home. In fact, let me read you a couple of definitions here of the word abide as it's found in the New Testament. The word abide has a number of different nuances as it relates to a place. The word abide means to not depart. So when we hear Jesus say, abide in me and I will abide in you, or when, he, when we hear him say, abide in my word, here's what he's saying, don't leave it. Stay, put your roots down. Don't be transitory with the word of God. Don't be fickle. Let your roots go down so deep in the word that no matter what's happening around you circumstantially or situationally, you don't leave the word. Tether yourself to the word of God. I I heard back in the day out on the farms and maybe John can verify this, but you know, when harsh winters would happen, they would actually have ropes that were tied to the barns from the barn to the house so that when the snow was blowing and the wind was blowing hard, they would actually tether themselves to get from the house to the barn. And that's what the word does. The word anchors us to Christ. When you don't know what to do in a situation, abide in the word. Don't leave the word. Don't leave when the word gets tried and it gets tested and we know that it will. Tether yourself to the word and you won't be tossed to and fro with every winded wave of doctrine. You won't be blown around. You won't be unstable. You won't be unfruitful because you're tethered to the word. You're not moved from the word. As it relates to time, it means to last. It means to endure. It means to not perish. It means to survive. It means to make it. So when we hear that word abide, as it relates to time, think about that. It means to last. It means to stand. How do we stand and having done all to stand, stand? How do we do that? By abiding in the words of Jesus. How do we outlast our accusers and our enemies? How do we outlast the spirit of the age? By standing and abiding in the word of God. Many times Christians will make it if we'll just outlast the enemy. God is eternal. God is eternal, which means the capacity is inside of you to outlast your accusers. I'm telling you, if, if you'll just determine in your heart that no matter what's coming against you, you're going to outlast it, you'll stand. And you'll learn, and you'll grow, and you'll get stronger. And the next time something comes at you, you'll be wiser, and you'll be more mature because you've tethered yourself to the word, and you've outlasted the enemy. You've outlasted the storm. Here's another neat nuance as it relates to condition. It means to remain as one, to be one, to be one. So let's put all these together as it relates to a whole picture of the word abide. It means to continue to be present, like don't depart. It means to last and it means to be as one. Let's go to John chapter 15. We're gonna look here at a couple of verses And then I want to share with you a number of things that happen when we abide. And then I want to talk with you about how to abide in the words of Jesus. Because my thesis today, church, is that transformation. And remember, the name of the game in the kingdom is transformation. The name of the game in the kingdom is transformation. Right? Wherever the kingdom of God comes, what happens? Things change. We believe that. 
We believe the kingdom of God, by its very nature, is transformational. In other words, it's impossible for God's kingdom, and we're called to pray for God's kingdom. It's impossible for God's kingdom to come and things to remain the same. Impossible. 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 All right, so if you're still the same as you were 10 years ago, the word will change you. The kingdom will change you. Everywhere Jesus went, people were not the same. So there's a participatory responsibility in the transformational uh, process of God's kingdom. All right, John chapter 15, let's look at verse 4. John John 15 verse 4 says, abide in me. And Ivy says, remain in me. Some translations say dwell or make your home in me, just as I also remain in you. For no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain. It must stay. It must last. It must become one with the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. Some translations say, I am the true vine. You are the branches. So if you remain, abide, and dwell in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. How many of you want to bear much fruit? I I like people who have much fruit. I love it when I'm around just life-giving, joy-filled, hopeful, positive, victorious, overcoming, full of love. That's called fruit which is available for all of us. You will bear much fruit. Today, I wanna provoke you. I wanna make you jealous for more fruit in your life. Not out of works. And we talked about this earlier in the series. You cannot produce fruit in your life by works. Fruit in your life is a result of the powerful grace of God, but we participate with that grace. And one of the ways we participate is by living in his word. Verse six. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up. They are thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain, abide, dwell in me, and my words remain, abide, dwell in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. For this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Seven things that happen when we abide in the scriptures. Number one, when we abide, abiding in scripture makes meditation possible. Abiding in scripture makes meditation possible. And why is meditation possible? Pastor Dan preached on this a few months ago. Meditation roots us. Meditating on the word of God grounds us. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who dwells in the word of God, who meditates on the word of God because he'll be like a tree that is rooted and planted by streams of water. So when we abide in the word, when we make the word our home, when we live in the word and tether ourselves to the words of Jesus, it allows meditation to happen. It allows the word to constantly be on our mind at all times. How many of you love it when you wake up in the morning and without going to the hard copy scriptures, that which has already been dialed in digitally in the spirit in your thinking is on your thoughts. Anybody ever have that? Or maybe you're shaving and a word comes to you, you're brushing your teeth, you're driving, you're just going about life and now God has something to pull on. 
that if you don't put anything in there, he's got nothing to bring to your remembrance. My professors in seminary would tell me that all the time. They'd say, listen, guys, we believe in praying in tongues. We believe in praying in the spirit. We believe God can give you revelation, but we want you to know that God cannot pull into, he cannot pull out of your mind for this test what you've not put in there. I, I would test that theory often. I'm going to show you. All right, number two, abiding in Scripture strengthens my faith. Strengthens my faith. Talked to the men yesterday about the power of faith in adversity, faith in trial, faith in struggle. Seems like, it seems like every person I talk to, they're, they're struggling, they're fighting. There's adversity, there's pressure, there's crisis, there's conflict in some manner. You know what's going to cause you to stand in the midst of that adversity? Listen, it's not a matter of if there will be adversity in the Christian life, you guys. That's not the question. The question is when and how will I make it through this adversity? And here's how. Your faith will be strengthened by the word. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word. This then is the victory that we have over the world. We overcome the world even by our faith. The key to your victory, the key to you moving in the victory that has already been purchased for you. Victory has already been established. Your key to access that victory and pull it into your life and activate it into your life, the key to that is faith and faith is strengthened by the word by living, by abiding, by dwelling in the word. Number three, abiding in scripture shapes the way that we view the world. It shapes our worldview. It gives us the proper perspective on all of the cultural issues of the day and I can list all of them. And so could you. And so much confusion and so much back and forth and so many gray areas. And really what it is, it's a reflection of a church at large that has not been living in the words of Jesus so deeply that we're able to minister with grace and truth in perfect balance. And, and here's the thing. Without us abiding, are we all together today? Are we? All right, okay. All right. Kind of, without us abiding in the words of Jesus, We'll either, we'll, we'll lean on the side of truth, all right? And we'll lean on the side of truth without grace and love. And, and that does not transform nations. Or we will lean on the side of a soulish approach to grace without truth. And that's really where the church at large is in the world and with the issues of the world today. It is not an either or situation. It is a both and that requires the words of God to be living and abiding so deeply inside of us. This is what I love about Jesus reading through the Gospels. Every time he was trying to be entrapped by the Pharisees, he just was living so deeply in the words of the Father. He gave the right answer every time. Sometimes he answered directly, sometimes indirectly, sometimes he didn't answer at all. Sometimes he answered with a question. Those are my favorite times. Number four, Abiding in scripture makes God's word more readily accessible when overcoming temptation to sin. Abiding in the word makes his word more readily available. It's accessible. When your flesh, when the pressure of those that are around you, 
when that hits you, what is it that you're drawing from? What is it you're standing on? And listen, temptation can be different at different phases of life. What is your temptation may not be mine. And when the things I'm tempted at now as a 38-year-old young man are different than when I was an 18-year-old young man, but here is the, uh, here's the principle that doesn't change, that when we abide in words, Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word, I have hidden your word. I have hidden your word. You know what that means? It means that he was living in the words of God. I've hidden them inside of me. I've, I've, I've deposited treasures of your word inside of me so that every conflicting, opposing, contrary temptation of the enemy, I've got something I can pull on, which leads us to our next point very quickly. Number six, it enables me to hit the devil in the face. Matthew chapter four Beginning in verse 1 all the way through verse 12, Jesus was in the wilderness and the enemy came three times and every time the enemy tried to tempt him, Jesus came right back and he said, say it with me, it is, uh, every time. That was weak, y'all. I'm trying to get revved up here and y'all like, I need y'all to get in this fight with me. Say it, listen one more time. Every time the enemy tempted Jesus, he came back with, it is, Oh, now, see, that's a church. If I were an unbeliever and I came to that first one, I'd walk right out. It allows us to hit the devil in the face. Your only response to to the accusations of the enemy, your only response to the temptation of the wicked one is the word of God. Your opinions and your thoughts and your secular worldview and something you heard somebody else say and some radio program, he'll have a field day on you. The only response that you have that is appropriate to win this battle is it is written. That's it. That is it. That is your only response. That is your only hope in the spirit of God, in the power of God's spirit, knowing this is what God has said for this moment. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It is our offensive weapon. And the thing about the swords in, old te- in those days was that they were, they were used defensively and they were used offensively. How do you defend yourself? Dennis was talking last week. You never go on offense with a great de- without a great defense. How do we defend ourselves? We defend ourselves with the word of God. When the accuser comes in and he accuses you, what do you stand on? I stand on 1 John 1, 9. I stand on, if I, if, I'm, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of all of my iniquities. That's what I stand on. I stand on Psalm 51. I stand on 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I stand on Romans 3, 23 and 24. I stand and I defend myself when the enemy comes at me with accusation. And then I go on the offense. Here's the next one. Uh, Number seven, abiding in the word guards my mind and it makes it easier for me to detect error. Error. All All through the epistles and particularly in the pastoral letters, in fact, we found out at the beginning of this series that Paul writes Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 5, and he says, Timothy, this is why I have positioned you in Ephesus so that you may teach men not to teach false doctrine any longer. 
How do we recognize false doctrine? How do we keep ourselves from being wacky and crazy and spiritually off balance? How do we do that? The word. Living, abiding, dwelling, remaining in the word keeps us sound. Finally, it provides us the strongest and sweetest words for ministering ministering to others in need. When people are struggling, when they're suffering, when they're going through pain and when they're going through adversity, they they do not need, let's let's go here, John chapter six. John chapter six, and we'll look at verse 63. This has been a word that has put the fear of the Lord inside of me when people come and ask for counsel. People are going through hell in their lives. And I know that a word that I say will affect them in that journey. I rest on John 6, 63. Here's what it says. Jesus says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. And then he says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. All of our education, all of our learning, all of our life experience bows to the word of God. It bows to the word because the spirit gives life and the words that you give to your friend who is hurting, are they spirit or are they flesh? Are you listening? Let me equip you here for a second. What I do, every conversation that I'm in, when someone comes and they're walking through things and they're looking for counsel or they're grieving, I'm, I'm listening on two levels. I'm listening to what they're saying and at the same time, I'm asking Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What are you saying? What root structures here do they, do, they, that they, do they not see that need to be revealed? What questions can I ask? Help me to hear what it is that you're saying through their voice. Give me ears to hear. You're always listening on two levels so that you can speak to the root of the issue, so that you can give a word that will give them life, not stale, dead religion, because it kills because it kills. Do you know how many people are walking our streets that have walked away from God because some well-meaning Christian who wasn't abiding in the word gave some religious, dead, sterile answer and it totally offended that person and turned them away? I promise you it's true. Finally, uh, abiding in the word provides the matrix for fellowship with Jesus. You wanna hear God's voice? It's so funny. We, you know, we cry out to hear God's voice Get in, get in, guys, get in his word. Live in that word. And let me give you another tip. Never assume that because you've read a chapter or a book or a verse that you understand what it means. Never assume you've totally extracted it. Live in it, dwell in it. I promise you, if you read the same verse 365 days out of the year, God would show you something new 365 times every day that you go to it. He'll spin it. Do you say it like that? He'll spin it. He'll turn it. He'll turn it. He'll turn it. Wow. Provides fellowship with Jesus. All right. So I, I think I have almost persuaded you that abiding in the words are important. So let's, in our few minutes together, let's talk about how do we abide? How do we do this? This is so important and it does so many great things. Now, how do I do this? Number one, abiding is being close. Being close, being near. And let's take a look right here at John chapter one. 
was meditating on this a couple nights ago, completely unrelated to what we're talking about today. Something that just stood out to me. We'll start in verse 38. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and he asked, what do you want? Now to get the context here, what happened is, we'll start at verse 35. The next day, John the baptizer, he was there with his two disciples. So who knows how long these guys were following John, but they were following John for a while. They were his disciples. Then it says right here, it says in verse 36, when John saw Jesus, he pointed to Jesus and says, guys, look, there is the Lamb of God. Which, by the way, every good disciple maker always points their disciples to Jesus. Look, there's Jesus. Look, there's Jesus. Look, there's Jesus. You're going through hell? Look, there's Jesus. Having a hard time? Look, look, look. There's, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Let's find Jesus. Disciple makers, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, they don't need, they don't need you. They need you to say, hey, look, there's Jesus. I'm going to help you find Jesus. Sometimes when I lose something, I go to Christy and I say, babe, I need you to help me find something. All right? And so she'll get in the hunt. That's what we do. Hey, there he is. Look, there he is. That's what he's up to. That's what he's doing. That's what he's speaking. There's Jesus. Love it. Verse 37. So when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Uh-oh, most times we don't do this because we don't want people following Jesus and not us. All right, we got we to skip that one. All right, verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and then he asked them, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? NIV says staying. You know what that word is? There's our word. Where are you abiding? Where are you remaining? Where are you dwelling? You see, a, a heart of a disciple just wants to be where Jesus is. I just want to be where you're at. And look, what, look, what they, look, look, look at this. It's so awesome. Verse 39, he says, come and you will see. There is always an open invitation from Jesus for those who want to be with him. Always an open invitation. If you want to be close, he's like, I will let you know where I'm at because I want to be close with you. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. They abided with him. How do we abide? We just get close. We get close. I'm going to show you how to do that here in a few minutes because it is completely within every single one of our capabilities to get close. Number two, we abide by believing. Look at John chapter five. My wife and I are reading through the book of John together and I didn't realize that one of the themes of John is all about abiding. All about abiding, all about dwelling, all about staying close. More than any other gospel, we see the word meno, which is abide in the Greek in the book of John. Chapter five, look at verse 37. Jesus is addressing a number of religious leaders here. And he says in verse 37 of chapter five, and the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice. You have never seen his form, nor does his word abide in you. Now, wait a minute. Do you know who he's talking to? He's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to guys that have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament word for word. He's talking to guys that beyond the Torah are people that have memorized huge portions of major prophets and minor prophets. These guys are people that constantly were in the word. What's the difference? 
heart motivation. Dwelling and abiding is all about your heart. It's all about the motivation. It's all about the movement of what's happening in your heart. Here's what I know will take place. When we abide, believing will grow. Watch what, here's, watch what he says. Nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You guys have memorized huge chunks of scripture, but guess what? You still don't believe me. You guys know all the law, but guess what? You don't believe me. His word is not living in you. Because the fruit of his word dwelling in us is that when Jesus speaks, we believe. Is that when Jesus comes on the scene, we recognize him. We see him. We see him. That is the fruit of abiding in his words that we see him even in the, in the midst of the most inconspicuous moments, the most difficult moments of our lives, we see him. I'm reminded of when the disciples were in the boat and they were crossing after Jesus fed 5,000, Jesus did not join them. He walked on the water and immediately when he came up to them, they did not recognize him. After he was resurrected, he came back. Mary thought he was a gardener. He comes down and he's fishing with the guys. They did not recognize him. Jesus is constantly inviting us. Hey, live close, live in my words and you will recognize where I'm at in all situations. Number three, abiding is eating. This one is probably gonna be a little bit more difficult as we look at the famous Dracula passage of the New Testament. John chapter six, let's look at verse 27. Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So Jesus is now addressing all of these people that followed him because he had just fed the 5,000. He fed 5,000 men, including women and children. It was probably well over 10 to 15,000 people that he fed off of two small pieces of fish and seven pieces of bread, and he fed multiple thousands of people. So now all these people are running to him and they want to hear what he has to say. And Jesus says, listen, you guys are, you're just focused on the physical. You're focused on the temporal. And that's why he says, don't work for food that spoils, literal bread. Work for food that endures, spiritual bread. Verse 28, when then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, believe in the one he sent. How do we believe? By abiding in his word. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do for our ancestors? A manna in the wilderness, which many Jewish expositors recognize as a symbolic form of spiritual bread that came down from heaven. Oh, by the way, nice little sidebar. All throughout John, you'll see Jesus constantly say, I am the one from above. You are from below. I am the one sent from above. I am the one sent from above. Just like manna was sent from above, I am sent from above because I am the spiritual bread of life sent from above into your wilderness situation. Verse 31, our ancestors ate the manna. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Let's bring it, let's bring it home here. 32, Jesus said, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread. It is my father who gives you the true bread for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
Look at, look at 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's jump down to verse 50. Here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Very important verse, verse 56. Verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, <laughs> remains in me, abides, dwells, lives in me. How do we abide in God? We have to eat his flesh. We have to eat his flesh. I was reading through it commentary that is a Jewish background commentary to the New Testament. And I failed to remember that in that culture, eating and drinking of blood was highly avoided, to put it nicely. (laughs) And in many of the Greco-Roman cultures that surrounded the people, the idea of cannibalism was grossly detested. And that's why a lot of people that were hearing Jesus, you'll see as you read through John chapter six, they're like, I'm out. Can't, I'm, 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 that's crazy. And talk about occultic accusations. Here's what Jesus was saying. Guys, guys, stop thinking physically. Stop thinking temporally. Eat my flesh. Isn't it interesting that in John 1, 1, the scripture says in the beginning was the word And the word was with God and the word was God. And then we find 14 verses later, what happens to that word? The word became flesh. The word, which was with God, which was God, which was with God from the beginning, became flesh. See, the point of of abiding in the word is always that the word becomes flesh. It's always that the word moves from theory to reality. It's not enough to preach on love. You've got to become love. It's not enough to believe in God bringing you through. You've, that you, it has to be built inside of you. God, the word will build perseverance inside of you. Perseverance is not a theory. It's, it's not just a belief system. Perseverance looks like something. Serving looks like something. Worship looks like something. These aren't just ideas. We're not Gnostics. See, John was writing to a people that just believed that Jesus was like a ghost. We believe that Jesus was a spirit being. There are some people that said he was an apparition. He was a hologram. He had everybody fooled. No, 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 no. The word became Flesh, the word turned into something. The word created something. The word produced something. Are you hearing me? Peace looks like something. Covenant in marriage looks like something. That's why, that's why living with someone before you say, I'm going to give my life to you, that doesn't work. Because covenant looks like something. Love looks like something. Faith looks like something. It turns into something because the word became flesh. And this is what Jesus said. Now, the flesh, the living reality, the fruit of what that word became, eat of that. 
partake of that. Draw on that. Feed your spirit on the word that became flesh. How do you abide in him? How do we dwell in him? How do we stay close to him? Eat the scroll. Ezekiel chapter three and Revelation chapter 19, both we find prophetic passages where the angel of the Lord comes and he speaks to the prophet and he says, eat this word, eat it, eat it, eat it. I don't like, you better eat that mug, eat it. Every day, every day, and there's a thousand analogies we can tie into that and um, I'm not gonna go there for the sake of time. Number four. Abiding, how do we abide? Abiding is making room. This one's the funnest. I might skip the last one just because this one's the funnest. Abiding is making room. John chapter eight. John chapter eight, verse 37. Some of y'all need to make room right now in your mind. Stop thinking about lunch. Make room for the word right now. (laughs) All right, here we go. John 8, 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me Because you have no room for my word. There ain't no place for my word in your heart, in your mind. I remember about 20 years ago, my ministry career began as a youth pastor. And I remember I was hanging out with this kid. We were playing basketball. And this joker was quoting to me, Every single NBA basketball player out there, he knew their height, he knew their weight, he knew what college they went to, he knew how many points they averaged per game, and then he would move to the next sport, and then the next sport, then he'd get into cars, and he would break down the names of these cars and their engines, and I'm like, bro, bro, do you realize how much capacity for scripture you have that you can memorize and pull from? I mean, we know lyrics to songs. We know artists. We know, we know with all these blogs and Twitter sphere, we know what our favorite celebrities drink. We, we know all these crazy things and we got no room for the word of God in our hearts. Why are you staring me down, Joshua? Why are you staring me down right now? Why are you why are you mean mugging me? All right? You know I'm telling the truth. Okay? We can quote movie lines. I'm telling you, you have room for what you make room for. This is what Jesus says. He says, "Listen, you guys may have memorized a lot of stuff, but you didn't make room for me." There is no room in the inn. Hello, Christmas series. I just teed you up, baby. Huh? You know why the you know why Jesus ain't in your manger? Because you ain't got no room in the inn for him. This is what he says. You have no place. My word has no place. You have not made room for it. You know what that means? Christian, I've been, she got me, she got me hooked in this TV show. I I don't like TV shows. I don't like them. I do not like television, but I love my wife. And so she'll say, hey, I just want you to try this. Just try this series out. We can watch it together. You know, just one. We're not going to go crazy over it. It's called Fixer Upper. Okay, Fixer Upper. All right. So, so now we have this phrase. What would JoJo do? 
I'll tell you exactly what JoJo do. She'll go, uh, you just, oh, you do, I'm just going to come in here. I'm just going to tear this wall down right here. Boom. If there's a wall that's not leading to the outside, JoJo's going to knock it down. She's going to knock it down. Hey, you want more space in your house? You just knock this wall down. That's it. Boom. She opens everything up. I'm going to paint everything light. Just makes everything. Okay. You know what you need to do? You need to tear some walls down. You need to take some old ratty furniture in your heart and you need to throw that junk to spiritual goodwill. Get it out. All right, get your bitterness out of your heart. Get your religion out. Get your resent. Make some room. Get it out. It don't work in there no more. It don't look good in there anymore. Okay, and the word ain't got room in your heart any longer. How do you dwell in the word? You got to make room for that. Make room in your schedule. Make room in your schedule. Make room in your affections. We could fill up libraries with all of our excuses. We could. I ask you one, guys, I've been in youth ministry 20 years, all right? I know excuses. I know some good ones. Hey, tell me, tell me how come you ain't got, you know, you're not reading your Bible. Oh man, Pastor Jay, I'm just so busy. Oh man, I'm just so busy. I'm taking six college credit hours. I better move. I just felt myself getting the flesh. All right, let's close. Let's close. Let's close. Number five, how do we abide? How do we do this? How do we? Abiding is obeying. All right, let me just review here because I know y'all didn't catch all this. <laughs> I barely caught all of it. I'm just speaking to myself. Okay, number one, abiding is being near. So get close. Do everything you can to get close. Get in his word. Number two, abiding is believing. Believe it. Let faith grow. Let faith strengthen you. Abiding is eating every day. I eat a good five meals a day, at least. The other night, was it last night? I was heating up soup. Chris is like, you still hungry? I'm like, yes, I'm still hungry, okay? Can a brother get a 10 p.m. snack? Okay? Can I get a little second dinner? All right, I'm all about first breakfast, second breakfast. I'm all about snacks in between. You better believe it, man. I'm all over. Eat that, eat it. If we would eat the word like we eat food... Okay, all right, okay, all right, all right, y'all. Don't stone me, all right? Abiding is making room, make room. Abiding is obeying, obeying. Man, this is so awesome. All right, look at uh, chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will, he will obey my teaching. And watch what happens. My father will come to him. You know what he's going to do? I'm just going to hang out here for a little while, and I'm going to abide. You know how you get the father to abide, to camp out, to put down roots, to knock down walls, to turn your life into a fixer-upper? When he says something, Honor him enough to do it. Like, I just got to a point, man, when I tell people stuff in the word of God, they don't want to listen. I don't want to meet with you. I'm not going to meet with you anymore. Everybody's like, oh, man, I haven't met them in a long time. (laughs) Seriously. Seriously. 
you don't, you don't like giving heart, energy, prayer, passion, counsel. You don't like giving that to someone who just disregards it and does their own thing anyway. You don't like that. And neither does the Father. Let's all stand. Have a great Thanksgiving, guys. <laughs> Jonathan, I need some happy music up here, man. Come on, dude. How many of you love the word of God? Come on. Well, change your life. All right, Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus, the words of God, the living words of God. Your word is alive. It's active. It's dynamic. It's spirit. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts coming in. It heals going out. It's precise. Your word tears down the walls in our thinking. Your word plows up the ground in our heart. Your word is a seed, and unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will be no fruit that comes forth from it. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, you said, abide in my words, and you will ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Jesus, your name is the word of God. It's your name. For in the beginning was the word, and the word is with God, and the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. You are the word. You are the word. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we want to give you more than just lip service. We, we want to treasure your words. We want to tremble at your words. I pray, God, today that an increased value for the word of God would just grow inside of us. God, we just say today that your written word is elevated over our personal prophecies. Your written word is elevated over our opinions. Your written word is elevated over commentaries. Your written word is elevated over, Lord, the dialogue and the discussions in the marketplace of mankind. Your word is supreme. It is supreme. It is more important than what our friends say. It is more important than what our professors say. It is more important than what our classmates say. Your word reigns supreme. Your word is wisdom incarnate. You have commanded us, God, to get wisdom at all costs, to get wisdom, and wisdom is in your word. God, I pray today for an awakening. I pray for a shaking. I pray for a provoking by grace, not by works, by grace. God, that we would love your word so much. God, I pray for a literal anointing to read gobs of the scripture at times. I'm talking hours. Father, take us back to that place when we, we first found you and all we did was just poured over the scriptures. Take us back to that place. Let the word become preeminent. Let it take precedence in our lives, in all situations. I bless you, Antioch, today. Let strength and grace rise up within you. And I pray that you have a great Thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap our hands to the Lord today.